Um, last week we spoke primarily about Torah Shebiksav, the written Torah, and the various steps of how we received it. We talked about the first Luchais and the second Luchais and the Chamisha Chumshei Torah. Um, and then the Nevi'im, and the various books that were written um, by the Nevi'im. Um, and all of that together comprises what we call Torah Shebiksav, the written Torah, or Tanakh. Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. Torah is the five books of Moshe. Nevi'im and Ksuvim are the 19 books that were written later by the prophets. And we discussed that that um, was sealed by the Anshe Knesset Hagdeva, the men of the great assembly. That was a great court led by Ezra and Nehemiah. So we sort of went through most of those steps last week. However, what we want to focus on more so in this, in this class, in the next number of classes, is not so much the Torah Shebiksav, the written Torah, again, the Chumash and the Nevi'im and Ksuvim, but rather the Torah Shebalpeh, which is the oral Torah, the explanations, the halachis behind the written Torah. Um, and that is a very important, extremely important part of Torah, and it's really the explanation of everything we do, and the, this is explanation, the explanation of what we do. You know, the Torah says one line for a mitzvah, there's 613 mitzvahs in the Torah, but all the halachis behind all of those mitzvahs, which we have in our Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, whatever Shulchan Aruch one is using, um, is really based on thousands of years of oral tradition. And that oral tradition is very, um, it's very something that people ask about, and how do we know, and where does it come from, and what's the chain, and maybe it changed. And that's a common question that we'll get or think of What's the clarity of our oral tradition? And in fact, people will ask, you know, if it was written from the beginning, then we know, you know, the source. And here, our Torah is dafka, is specifically meant not to be written. All of the halachas of the Torah was specifically meant to be transmitted orally from generation to generation. So much so that the Gemara tells us that it was really an isr. It was a prohibition. Um, Torah Shabal i atar rashoi lekosvo. Torah Shabal the oral tradition, was meant to be passed down from generation to generation by teachers, by leaders, by tzaddikim, um, and not be written. It was mentioned last week that that doesn't mean people couldn't take private notes. Uh, Rambam writes, the Gemara writes, many people had notes. But as far as an official authoritative book, a compilation of halacha, that was something that was forbidden and that was the system, the way it stayed. We'll see, we'll go through the years. But for over 1,500 years, the Torah, the oral tradition, remained oral. And it's based on Pesukim. Um, now, why did Hashem will it to be so? Why did Hashem say that all of the halachas should remain oral and be transmitted orally? It doesn't say, Hashem didn't say a reason. Like many mitzvahs, Hashem said that's the mitzvah. But much has been written about it as to possibly different thoughts and ideas of why Hashem wanted that the oral uh, tradition should be, remain oral. And perhaps the most accepted explanation, and one that seems to be the most correct, is that when books are written, and it's up to everyone to decipher how they want and what they want, things rapidly change based on everyone's books and everyone's reading of their books and the next book and so on and so forth. Halacha was meant to be kept in its purest form, and that's when there is one tzaddik, or one bezdim, one central Sanhedrin, that decided, constantly was deciding, and giving over, and making sure that the Torah remains true to its form. Um, what's amazing is, that you can discuss it one way or the other, and you can argue one way or the other, but the Torah Shabbat worked perfectly. Why do I say it worked perfectly? We're a nation that's thousands of years old, and yet, the basic halachas of the mitzvahs in the Torah, is exactly the same for every type of Yid in every part of the world. And that's an amazing concept. Now sometimes people think, they say, no, there's differences, Ashkenaz and Sephard and Hasidim and not Hasidim and this. And, and when you hear that, we have to think to ourselves, what are, where are their differences? What are the biggest differences we can think of from any two sects of Yidin, whatever two sects you take, um, Torah observant Yidin, right? Everyone has the same 613 mitzvahs. There's not one mitzvah, you know, there's not, there's not one mitzvah. Everyone knows Shabbos, there's 39 malachas of Shabbos. 
Everyone knows that on Sukkot we take an esterik, a lulav, a hadas, narova. There's no minhag in any area of Kali Yisrael in uh, Australia or in Egypt or in Yemen that on Sukkot takes maybe um, you know an apple instead of an esterik. Or on Pesach eats something else than matzah. In other words, the halachas of the Torah remained uniquely the same throughout the entire world, Ashkenaz, Farad, Hasidic, not Hasidic, for thousands of years. There isn't one mitzvah that some have and some don't. Like if I, if I throw out a question, what's the biggest difference we can think about between Ashkenazic and Sephardic Jewry? Rice, rice on yes. Pesach. Rice on Pesach usually ranks very high. What do you mean is different? It's the same three times a day, same Shemona Esrei, nuances. It's mamish nuances. It's Shemona Esrei, it's Shrachas Mincha Mairev, it's Musaf and Shabbos, it's all the same. But do, and it's the, not even that, 18 brachas. And it's the same 18 brachas, about the same 18 concepts. But do we say it with this word or with that word? Nuances. They have like a lot of piyutim. Piyutim is extra, it's tradition. It's, it, the, the differences are in tradition. And never in basic halach. The rice on Pesach, which is the big thing Ashkenaz and Sfar, is not a halacha. We know that Ashkenazic rabbinate made a gzera, they made a decree that they shouldn't eat legumes on Pesach, and the Sephardic rabbinate never accepted that. So that's fine. It never became part of the mitzvah. Everyone knows chametz is chametz and matzah is matzah. No one thinks that kidneys is, that rice is chametz. It's a gzera. So the differences were in traditions, in certain rules that were accepted in certain countries, but never in one of the mitzvahs, never in any of the halachas. And we're 3,300 and something years after the giving of Torah. And nothing, you know, you know I'm not, I'm not going to profess to be a maven in different religions, but to my, in my very limited knowledge, what started as one religion, there's this aspect and this aspect and this mitzvah and that mitzvah, and again, I don't know a lot about it. But in Torah Yiddishkeit, Thousands of years later, and we're in every, we're every corner of the globe, you have to understand also, today, even though we're in every corner of the globe, you're in touch. You know, on the internet, and the texting, and this, whatever. We're talking about 100, 200, 500, 1,000 years ago, no, no, nobody was in touch with anybody. So if you were in one part of the globe, and other Jews were in another part of the globe, they never saw each other their entire life, never talked. And yet, the halachas remained exactly the it's same. Amazing. And that's, amazing. so when we talk about the oral tradition, Teresh Shabalpeh, you know, you can sit around the table and argue, is it a good idea, is it a bad idea? Hashem said that's the way it's going to be. But at the end of the day, he seems to know what he's talking about. Because it worked to perfection. The unity of Torah and how the mitzvahs remained the same 613, but the same general halachas. That's, it's an, a very important point because I feel it's something that comes up a lot, especially with people who want to challenge and they ask and we don't understand and who says. Why would the same thing have happened, though, if it was written down? When you write something down, so there's no one tzaddik or group of tzaddik that's controlling what happens. So yeah, there's readings and there's how I read it and you read it. And it's up to everyone's deciphering their understanding of the written word. When there is a central Sanhedrin headed by a Nasi, then there's no room for differences. Ultimately, the Torah is very, very strict about if the Sanhedrin paskins in a certain way, the Torah, and someone else says differently, that's called a Zakin Mamre in, in, in um, Parshish Ki, uh, what is it? Is it Kisaitse? I don't remember right now. Uh, Parshish Shaiftim, I'm sorry. And the Sanhedrin, there was a central place of decision and authority where the Torah was passed down from generation to generation. So it keeps it centralized. It keeps it centralized, it keeps it one. It means that the deciding ones is the tzaddikim of the generation, or the one tzaddik of the generation, who is entrusted, who is the Talmud of the Talmud of the Talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not up to you and me to have a book club, and let's decide what we think about this parsha. Like, let's think, and maybe it means something else, maybe it means something different. It's everyone not, and everyone account. makes their own thing. Give it a hundred years, there's a hundred tires. But if there's, if it's given over person to person to person, that remains the integrity of Torah. Now, even the Rebbeim didn't want their writing, their, their works written down. Right, writing was writing has a lot of dangers to it. Now, at some point, and we'll we'll get to that, of course. At some point, it was written, and we'll discuss why and who and when. But we'll see how that remained still the one, it remained, so to speak, um, con very controlled by the central authority of Klal Yisrael, and not just anyone, but the Rabbanim who were entrusted in carrying that generation to generation. So, 
The Rambam, and I mentioned this last week, in his Hakdama, in his preface to his great work, Yad HaChazaka, gives the basic general picture of the Messairah. The word Messairah means the, um, the transmission, the transmission of Torah of generation to generation. Um, so, of course, it's, everything starts by Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu receives the written Torah, we discussed that, but more importantly to our conversation, he's the one who Hashem tells the halachas of the Torah, which becomes the oral, the basis, the foundation of the oral tradition. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to teach that to everyone, to all of Klal Yisrael, but he's going to entrust it to one. Well, he teaches it to thousands, to hundreds of thousands. For 40 years, that's all they do in the desert. He teaches Torah to Klal Yisrael. And but and there's amongst Klal Yisrael, there's also the Zkenim, there's the elders, and there's some Tzadikim, there's Aaron Akon, and there's Elazar, and there's Pinchas. But the one whom Moshe Rabbeinu entrusts the Torah to is, of course, going to be his successor, and that's Yehoshua. Yehoshua is going to entrust. And Rambam is going to trace 40 generations of who is the one who was in charge, who was the final word, who was the successor, and the transmitter of Torah onto the next generations. And his 40 generations start from Moshe Rabbeinu until. Right? Where's the until? Where is Rambam going to carry succession of Torah to? So, this is to the book, which is the final book that is binding halachically for all of the Jewish people. What book am I thinking of? Right? The final well, it's not just one book, but the final compendium of books that is considered the binding transmission of the oral tradition for Klal Yisrael. And that is not the Shulchan Aruch, because the Shulchan Aruch is, is already Sfard, Ashkenaz, Shulchan Aruch is a few hundred years ago. The final book that's for all Klal Yisrael of Halacha is the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, written in Talmud Bavli, which is written in Bavel, written in Babylon, and this is written a few hundred years into the common era. I don't have an exact year in front of me. It's a few hundred years after the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. Right? After the destruction of the second Holy Temple, the Talmud Bavli is written, really there's many, many sages of the Talmud, but the two sages who primarily compiled the Talmud and put it together were Ravina and Rav Ashi. Ravina and Rav Ashi. These are Sadiqim that lived just about 1,500 years ago. How do you spell Ravina? In Hebrew? Yeah. Resh, Bez, Yud, Nun, Aleph. That's Ravina. In one, it's one name, Ravina. And Rav Ashi is two names. Resh, Bez is Rav. Ashi is Aleph, Shin, Yud. They compiled the Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, which is the greatest gathering of Torah Shabal Peh, which was accepted by all of Klal Yisrael. After that, you already have many different commentators, great sages, but their works don't become binding for all of Klal Yisrael. They weren't necessarily centralized. The Jewish people were already too scattered. Take, for example, the Rambam himself. Rambam is a great work, and we study, and I'm holding a Rambam in my hands right now, but his work is not is not considered the same level of authority as Talmud. For example, other sages argue on Rambam sometimes. Sometimes Ramban, Nachmanides, will argue on Rambam, halachically. Um, there can be debates between Rashi and the Rambam and the Alter Rebbe and uh, you know, all these forum in the last thousand years, but nobody could debate the Talmud. One can't say, oh, I, I think differently than the Talmud. That won't work because the Talmud is accepted by all of Klal Yisrael. It's all it is is arguments between who's right and who's wrong. It's not arguments. It's discussion and conclusion. No, there's no conclusions, I understand. Many times there are conclusions. Sometimes the conclusion is unclear, and that's where the commentaries come in. But you can't say, okay, the Talmud came out. I hold different. There's Rambam, who wrote tremendously, would never argue on the Talmud. He'll explain what the conclusion is. Anything that he says, he has, to, he has to source it in the Talmud. And the same as the Ramban, and the same as with Yosef Cairo, and the same as with the Alter Rebbe. It's all sourced in the Talmud. 
Now, for the simple person, or for most of us, or for all of us, to try to figure all that out of the Talmud might be impossible. That's why you need these great sages to do it. But they don't have the power, halachically, to debate the Talmud. To explain it, to explain it deeper, perhaps, but not to debate it. Well, so, but, but, where, but do, you, do you learn the actual halacha from there? Like, they I, do. But I, like when I learn Mishnayis, let's say, you know, let's for your site. So then I'll say to Mayor, so which way is it? Because one says do it this way, one says do it that way. Right. So where do you learn the So that, that Mishnah will be discussed in the Talmud. Right. Many times the Talmud will say that the halacha is a certain way. And that's the halacha. That's the halacha. Now many times in the Talmud itself, it's not that clear what the halacha is. That's where you have Rashi and Tosfos and the Rambam and the Ramban, who are all commentators to the Talmud. All of the halachic poskim are essentially commentators to the Talmud. But well, what do we know what to do at the end? That's always my thing. So that, so that's There's all the arguments, but what, what's the so there, so you know it keeps there's poskim. Right. Po, the poskim are the ones who say, okay, so this is what you do. So I'm reading my Kitzur Shulchan Aruch that says do this, and that's all I have to know what to do. But that Kitzur Shulchan Aruch came from Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who was based on the tour, who was based on the Rambam, who was learning the Talmud. Ultimately, everything in yeshiva and kolal, what are they doing? What are people, when people are studying all day and all day, all day, for year after year, they're not just learning the Shulchan Aruch, what to do and what not to do. They're going back to the sources and figuring it all out. How A came to B to C to D to F. Real study is going back to the source and finding how all of the basic halacha, where it comes from in the Talmud, and where it's rooted backward from there. So the Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, is probably the greatest work of Torah Shabal Peh. And is the, again, the final work that's general. That's general, that's binding. So when Rambam says that there's 40 generations of Mesorah, it's 40 from who to whom? Number one is Moshe Rabbeinu. 40 is Ravina and Ravashi. Now, when the women were in the, for 40 years, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching. Sure. All of Talmud Bafli. Well, all of, all of Torah Shabbat Peh. Which later showed up in many Sfarim, amongst them Talmud Babli. Talmud Babli is by far not the only one. I said it's the final one. It's the final compilation. There's many Sfarim. But it had everything in it, Talmud Babli? Well, not necessarily. It had all the major halacha, but not everything. There's, there's Medrashim, there's other Sfarim. Talmud Babli is not the only. It's the final, it's the greatest. Where did Talmud Yerushalmi? We'll talk about, we'll get that, we'll get, we'll get to all that. I'm, right now I'm just giving you a very, very broad picture. So there's tons of other Talmud. Uh, Sfarim, yes, yes, yes. Okay. We've been learning forever. We, so, we spoke about that last week. We've been learning and teaching and writing forever. So there's going to be a lot going up. There's a lot, a lot of Torah to learn. And it's, uh, it's it can be pretty um, time consuming. Wait. <laughs> When we talk about it being passed down for 40 generations, mm-hmm. whatever, was it the same thing passed down or did it develop and evolve through that? So process? that's an excellent question. And in Mir Sashem, we'll discuss some of that as well. The basics are the same, but there's certain takanais and certain new um, takana, uh, decrees, the xeris that were made, that may have evolved as well. But the basic halachas of what is Shabbos and what is Yom Tev and what is Sukkot and what is Pesach and what is 613 mitzvahs and all the halachas that they come, there was, that was there. I mean, then there is the rules how Torah, that they were able to build based on that. We talked about the 13 principles that are used to build halacha in Torah. That also was developed through the time, various halachas. But the basics of the halacha were always there. The basics of 613 mitzvahs and their basic halachas. That's what was passed down. And then there was questions. Questions had to be decided and ruled on. When things were, when you talk about things being developed, did they come from Hashem? Yes, it's divinely inspired. These, these people were talking about tremendous tzaddikim here. We're talking about Nevi'im. People who had prophetic vision, many of these people. So what we're going to go through is we're actually going to look at all of those links of that Messiah, those 40 generations. Can I ask you one other thing? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> So it's it's so mind-boggling, by the way. It's like you see when you start learning, you see how much there is to learn. But so nowadays, like you know, when people write sparring and they have a chiddush, like how, where does that come from that they could decide that they have a chiddush that we're not nevi'im? So like, how, how does that work? Like for instance, this is this is like a simple one. But um, my husband found a sefer in Eretz Yisrael about all like 
hidden things about the Mars Samachpel that people didn't know about. And he wanted to get the safer, and we found it, and he was like, he, he's reading all about different things about Mar, the Mars Samachpel. So that, that's not even halacha. Hmm. But like, but, so how does a person, or somebody writes about um, the Erev, and all kinds of halachas, and they come up with new things. Where does it come from? Is it just new to them, or they exist, you know? Okay. You know, like when the boys put a pill pull out. What is that? Right. Tanya yeah. talked about that a few days ago, didn't it? It did. It did. It did. I was, I was it. Okay, really so it's a, it's it's a broad question. Okay. It's a broad question. Um, okay, there's halach. There's what to do and when to do and how to do. That's one aspect. Right. There's the chachma of Hashem, the wisdom, the wisdom of Hashem, which is behind the halacha, and way beyond the halacha, is endless. Right? It says. Arucha, the Pasuk says, Arucha me'eretz mida, it's, it's, uh, the measurement is greater than the measurement of earth. It's Hashem's wisdom. Hashem's wisdom is in Torah. When we learn Torah and we think and we compare and we come up with ideas and thoughts, um, we hope that we are exactly being, um, how do you say, mechavin? For the right intention, not always is every idea correct for the right intention. Um, and it's not halachic. Most of these books are not halachic. When it comes to halacha, you have to know, you know, what's the psaq, what is the say, shulchan aruch. When we're discussing and thinking of new ideas and greater ideas, so the more spiritual and holy a person is, the more the ideas that they're going to present are going to be, can, you know, MS and Tashem's kavana and, and revealing new ideas from Hashem into this world. But the idea of learning and thinking and developing is very much part of learning Torah. Um, there's rules. There's the 13 basic rules, and there's many rules of how you know what's MS and what's not MS. But, and as you mentioned from Tanya just recently, that in Torah there's constantly learning and studying and revealing deeper ideas into the Torah that we've been given. Because we believe it's all Hashem's wisdom that there is deeper and deeper and more and more to reveal and to learn and to connect to. But you have to be careful with that. For sure, for sure. And that's why you have to know, is there a person that has Yerush Shemayim and is trying to be Mechavin, trying to um, find the truth in the idea. And we hope that it was, you know, that he was able to reach that truth. And that's something that we have in for, to be able to reach the truth and not make a mistake. And again, the more a person is a tzaddik, the more the person is a great person, the more they're, um, they're definitely going to be able to reach that truth. You know, again, it's very broad, I'll finish with one point. Um, the Rebbe would give a sicha on Shabbos and say, you know, talk about a Rashi and explain it deeper and deeper and deeper and another nuance and another nuance. So someone was asked a question, is it, did Rashi think about every idea that the Rebbe or any other great tzaddik explained in that Rashi? Interesting question. Rashi wrote a purush. Rashi wrote an explanation on Chumash. Did Rashi necessarily know every idea that every tzaddik in history is going to extrapolate or reveal in that Rashi? The Rebbe once dealt with the question, and he said no. But being that Rashi was such a big tzaddik, he wrote words of Hashem, and therefore within them there is ideas that Rashi himself may never have known. So Rashi was a vehicle for godly wisdom to the extent that someone else comes along another side and says, you know what, in this Rashi we can learn a whole new concept from. Rashi may not have realized that. The, yeah, you were getting me up on something, but the Rebbe Rashab, the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Rebbe, said a tremendous amount of Hasidus, right? So one of, one of his greatest Hasidim was the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Yitzchak, who was the Rav of Yakin Trinislav. So one time, the Rebbe's father, Reb Levik, comes to the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab says, no, what, what do you teach in your shul? So he says, well, I'm learning the mimer that you just wrote last year. That's what I'm teaching. So he says, where are you holding? He says, on the second page. So how long have you been teaching it? About a month. He says, what have you been explaining in this mimer? Please tell me. So the Rebbe's father started saying all of the different explanations that he had given in the mimer of... The Rebbe Rashab, I'm being clear? Mm-hmm. So the Rebbe Rashab listens listen to this. He says, listen, I have to tell you, I didn't think about it, but this is very correct. This is very beautiful idea. <laughs> so you understand? The Rebbe's father was explaining the Rebbe Rashab's mimer, and the Rebbe Rashab said, I didn't think of all those things, but you're saying, well, it's true. In other words, that's the, the nature of Torah is that it carries within itself depth and more depth and more depth, and someone else who comes and learns it with an MS is able to reveal that depth. 
And that's the beauty of Torah, because it's, because it's divine wisdom. Okay, but back, back to our 40 generations. So really, those 40 generations had very different eras within those generations. And if we're talking about, again, from Moshe Rabbeinu, and we're going all the way till Talmud Bavli, till the Babylonian Talmud. Again, uh, um, we're talking about a span of about 1,600 years. There's very different eras in those 40 generations. Right? In a very, very broadly. Now, I'm not trying to give a Jewish history class, but this class is going to be, we're discussing the history of Torah here. So it has to do with the, the history of the Jewish people. So if we try to get a bird's eye view of about 1,600 years of Jewish history, what's going on? From the giving of the Torah till Talmud Bavli. Okay? So very, very general. Torah is given. The Jews are going to spend 40 years in the desert. That's the first 40 years. So that's, we're out of sight. We're in the desert. We're studying Torah with Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? We come into the land of Israel. We discussed, we, we touched on this last week as well. We come into the land of Israel on the 10th day of Nisan, 40 years after the Exodus, after leaving Mitzrayim. We're going to spend then 440 years in the land of Israel before we build the first base on Mikdash, before we build the first Holy Temple. That's a big block of time and a very interesting block of time. Um, and this block of time is all dealt with in the books of the prophets, in the Nevi'im. This is really the block of time called Shoftim, the judges, which we'll talk about shortly. The next big block of time is the time of the first Beis HaMikdash, the first Holy Temple, 410 years. It's another huge block of time. The first Holy Temple is built by Shlomo HaMelech and destroyed 410 years later by Nebuchadnezzar of Bavel. That's another block of time. Right? So what, what, what do we have just in, so far? We have the 40 years in the desert, 440 years prior to the first Holy Temple, 410 years of the first Holy Temple. Then we have 70 years of Golos Bavel, the exile in Babylon. And then we have a new major block of time, the time of the second Holy Temple, built by Ezra and Nehemiah, and the second Holy Temple is going to stand for 420 years. Right? That's going to be destroyed by the Romans. Titus, Titus of Rome, Tishabov. The first Holy Temple was also destroyed in Tishabov. Um, so it's going to be destroyed by the Romans. And that ends a whole era of the Jewish people. That ends our era in Israel, really, for well over a thousand years. And that's the second Holy Temple. Not long after the second Holy Temple, I'm not sure if it's 70, 80, 90 years, I'm not, I'm not exactly, don't catch me in the years, is the great Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is a very great, one of the greatest leaders of the Jewish people, but especially important for our class, because he was the one who shifted the oral tradition into writing. Right? Whereas we said earlier, the mitzvah was, the oral tradition is meant to remain oral. And no one could change that. But Rabbi Yehuda Anasi was great enough and authoritative enough that he says, we're going to change something here. One of the only times that we have a tzaddik, a leader of Kali Yisrael, who says the times have forced us to, to do something drastic. And maybe to us it doesn't sound so drastic to write down what was taught, but it's a drastic departure of what was done for a thousand years. And he said, it's time to write Torah. More than, a lot more than, why did I say a thousand? A lot more than a thousand years. Fifteen hundred, closer to fifteen hundred years. And the reason why now, in hindsight, we see the genius and the divine inspiration of that, because this was the beginning of a whole new world for the Jewish people. No more Beis HaMikdash, no more centralized Yerushalayim. Imagine today, if nothing would be written, or the last thousand years, we're everywhere. How can you have, there can't be one centralized authority. And Rehuda Anasi saw that. He saw that there's a total departure now. And therefore he wrote, the first book of the oral tradition that was written is Mishnah. It's not a big book, six, six books. It's called Shisha Sidre Mishnah, the six orders of Mishnah. And that's a pretty, pretty modest book, basic halach. That's the first book that's written. But as soon as he opens that, it's like the floodgates open. And they just start coming out. I mean, the Medrash and the Tesefta and the Sifri and the, and the Bryces, because there's so much there. We're talking about information that's 1,500 years of information. 
So once he says, okay, let's start writing. So immediately, they just start coming. And that Mishnah then is going to be commented on and more commented, more commented, more things. And that's going to inspire the Talmud. Again, I'm not, I don't have the years in front of me. I'm going to say up to maybe two to three hundred years after the Mishnah is the Talmud. So you have the sages of the Mishnah. They're called the Tanoim, called the sages of the Mishnah. And the sages of the Talmud, which is the next step, is the Amuraim. And that's going to be completed by Ravina and Ravashi, as we mentioned earlier, who are going to seal and complete the Babylonian Talmud. And from then onward, it's commentary to the Talmuds and so on and so forth. The Talmud Babli, Talmud Yerushalmi, which we'll have to get to. Um, and that, then you're ready, you're, once you're after the Talmud, then you're Rashi, Rambam, Shulchan Aruch, Ramban, yada, yada, yada. Are those Some of them were, some of them were. Rashi was a Rishon, Rambam is a Rishon, Shulchan Aruch is already Achram. That's already the next step. Okay, we'll get to there hopefully one day too. Um, it's Aramaic, which Aramaic is close to Hebrew. Tana means to learn, to teach. Namura means to say. They were just descriptive terms of different generations of sages. So therefore, when you think about from Moshe Rabbeinu to Ravina and Ravashi, it's not just a question of 40 generations. It's not just 1,600 years. We're talking about years of Besamikdash and years of destruction, years of Mishkan, the first Mishkan, the second Mishkan, the third Mishkan, right? There was different Mishkans. And then there's the first base of Mikdash and the second. Then there's the period of destruction between and, and after. All of this time, there's one thread that goes through all of this time, which is who were the ones who were in charge of transmitting the Torah. And that's the greatness of what the Rambam did in this introduction to his book. He says, forget about what was going on in the world. There's a chain. There's an unbroken chain of who was the one which basin, which court, and which tzaddik was at the helm and was in charge of giving over the Torah from generation to generation. Um, and again, something that I've heard, and I, I don't know from my own knowledge of history, that that's one of the stark differences of Yiddishkeit and other religions, whereas you have the concept of the Dark Ages. Why are the Dark Ages called the Dark Ages? Everything was concentrated in the church and it wasn't disseminated widely. And in the church, and they don't know what happened in those few hundred years. There's these this this ages of hundreds of years of not clarity of who was in charge and what was going on. Everything was sort of and Torah doesn't have a dark ages. We have names of every time and every place, who was where and who was in charge and who was teaching and to whom. And that's the greatness and the beauty of understanding a little bit about the Messiah of Torah. So um so I want to discuss, I want to start, I start at the beginning and talk a little bit about those, the steps, the steps of the transmission of Torah, who were the people. Now it's interesting that we'll see some of these people are very famous to us and some of them are not. Um, they're all, they're, I'm going to say most of the names everyone will recall seeing, but some of them are like very famous that everyone knows and knows about. And some of them are much less knowledgeable about. Even in Tanakh, a lot of the, the first parts of this is all Tanakh. Right, the the first um, thou, almost thousand years is a lot of it is recorded in Tanakh, and some of the people who are charged with being the ones who transmitted the Torah are the most famous names in Tanakh. Some of the most famous names are not on this list. And that's an, an interesting concept. Take someone as famous as Shlomo Hamelach is not on this list. He was the king and he was brilliant, and nevertheless he wasn't. In, at the helm of the ones transmitting the Torah. He was the king at the time, and he wasn't there. And we'll see different examples of that. And we'll see who in his time was in charge of that. And that's why it's a very interesting list. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm using Rambam um, as the blueprints for this class. But we'll go through the names, and we'll see how some are fam- more famous, some are less. Some Again, some names, um, Shimshon. Shimshon Hagibor, everyone knows the story of Shimshon Hagibor, but he's not on this list of one of those who, who was in charge in his time of transmitting the Torah from generation to generation, and yet someone else in that time was. So he's not part of that chain, though he was great in his time, and we're not taking away from anyone's greatness, but as far here we're talking about a very specific chain, the chain of the ones who were in charge of the transmission of Torah Shabbat. 
So, having said uh, that, of course, everything starts with Moshe Rabbeinu. That's, you know, Moshe is Torah, Torah is Moshe. In fact, I always ask my children, you know, what's Moshe's last name? Rabbeinu. What does Rabbeinu mean? Our teacher. He is the teacher of Torah for Klal Yisrael forever. Torah Tziva Lanu Moshe. Moshe taught us the Torah. And he's the one who Hashem gave it to and the one who taught it. And as we said earlier already, he taught it to all of Klal Yisrael for 40 years and yet entrusted one person with being in charge, being responsible to keep its integrity, and that was Yehoshua. Yehoshua, his Talmud, his disciple and successor, and Yehoshua brings the Jewish people into, into Israel. So aside, of, aside from Yeshua being the general of the Jewish people, the one who led the wars and the conquests of Eretz Yisrael, he was the head of the Bezdin, he was the Nasi, and all halacha came through him in his time. Yehoshua also taught it to many. Um, and to the Zikanim, to the elders, it talks, there's a lot of talk in the, both in the Torah and in the book of Yehoshua about the elders of his time. But who was the one primary after Yeshua passes away? And here, it's really a name that everyone's going to recognize, but you might be surprised. Who was the one after Yeshua that was entrusted, so to speak, with keeping Torah was Pinchas. Now, Pinchas is a grandson to Aaron HaKoin. Pinchas is famous in the Torah. Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKoin, he's famous for his great act of zealotry, did I say that word right? Right, where he kills uh, Zimri and Cosby in, in that parsha. But, and he gets a special bracha of Hashem at that time, right? Hinini no sin lo as brisi shalom, I give him my covenant of peace. So we always, we talk about Pinchas many different ways. One of the things people don't realize is that Pinchas had tremendous longevity. He lived very long. Now there's different accountings, whether it was 200 years or more than that, he lived way into the Jewish people's being into Israel. Pinchas shows up in Tanakh, like in the story of Yiftach, which is one of the Shoftim 100 years later into Israel. So Pinchas was the one at the helm of the transmission of Torah as the disciple of Yeshua, who also was a disciple of Moshe Rabbeinu, because Pinchas learned from Moshe also. Pinchas was right there with Moshe you know, throughout the story of the 40 years. But after Moshe passes away, Yehoshua is at the helm, and then Pinchas is at the helm. So in the Tanakh, there's a period called the period of the Shoftim. And that's after Yehoshua, and there's one Shofet, and another Shofet, and another Shofet, and uh, Shimshon was a Shofet, and Devorah was a Shofet, and there's a number of Shoftim. But throughout that period of time, the one, the one who was in charge of Torah was Pinchas. So there's many Shoftim, none of the Shoftim are on the list. Again, we, you can study an entire year, the book of Shoftim in Tanakh, and learn about one tzaddik after the other. But all of them were great tzaddikim, but being the Pinchas was still around, he was the one who was in charge when it came to Torah, when it came to um, a decision, clarity, question, what exactly did Moshe say, what exactly did Yeshua say? Pinchas was the address. Now, who was the receiver from Pinchas? Who was the next step in the chain? A great tzaddik? Eli HaKohen. Who is Eli? So Eli is a Kohen Gadol. Eli is the head of the Bezdim. Eli was considered the king of the Jewish people at the time. This is pre-kings, right? We don't, the first king is going to be later, but the one who led the Jewish people, the, the un, uh, to, to, total leadership, spiritually, physically, the one who was in charge was Eli HaKohen. Tremendous tzaddik. Um, the Mepharshim tell us very, very great things about Eli. Um, Eli also lived to be an old man, almost 100 years old, um, not 98 it says. Um, the most, perhaps the most famous story that we all know about Eli is when Chana comes to the Mishkan. Which Mishkan? Shiloh. Right? This is before Beis HaMikdash. Chana shows up at the Mishkan Shiloh, and of course Chana doesn't have children, and Chana is married to Elkanah, who's also a tremendous tzaddik. Both Chana and Elkanah. Chana is one of the prophetesses of the Jewish nation. The Talmud talks about seven prophetesses, Hannah being one of them. And her husband, Elkanah, says was Sadiq Hador, the great Sadiq of the generation. And yet they don't have children. There's another wife, Penina. I'm not going to go through the entire story. Hannah shows up in the Mishkan. Eli is the Kohen Gadol. Eli sees her. Eli thinks she's drunk initially. Um, then she's, she explains the situation. Eli gives her a bracha. She's going to have a son. And Shmuel is going to be born. Right? That story happened on the first day that Eli was Kohen Gadol. That's a part of the story that people don't know. It was, it was the first day on the job. 
<laughs> okay, this is this was his, you know it's a, you know all beginnings are uh, interesting. So this was Ailey's first day, and Ailey was going to lead then for forty years. He's going to be the coin goddle for forty years. So Ailey is is the that next link of the transmission of Torah. So if we're, if we're holding our uh, records, we have Moshe Rabbeinu, we have Yehoshua, we have Pinchas, and then we have Eli. Um, after Eli, I think everyone's going to guess who's going to be the next. Shmuel. Shmuel Hanavi, um, the, one of the greatest of our prophets. Shmuel was from the tribe of Levi. Shmuel had a great-great-grandfather called Korach. Right? Korach, who comes across in the Torah, doesn't get the best records. Um, a great-great-grandson of Korach is going to be Shmuel. In fact, Rashi tells us that that's one of the reasons that Korach was silly enough to fight with Moshe Rabbeinu. Because Korach wasn't a simple person, and he had prophetic powers, and he saw that a descendant of his was going to lead the Jewish people. So, how can I go wrong? Yeah. Right? So, he can't go up against Moshe Rabbeinu. I know a descendant of mine is going to lead the Jewish people. Well, he didn't know the end of the story that he wasn't going to be around to see it. And it was going to be his sons who did Shuva, and from them was going to come Shmuel Hanavi. But we read that it says that Shmuel Hanavi, in certain ways, was equal to Moshe and Aaron together. Um, it says the greatest things that we have says about um, Shmuel Hanavi. His mother, Hannah, brought him to the Mishkan when he was two years old. And gave him, right there to Mishkan, to Eliak Cohen, said, I promised to Hashem that if he would give me a child, I would give him to be Hashem's servant his entire life. And Shmuel, from two years old, grew up in the Beis HaMikdash. Um, the Midrashim tell us, Shmuel prophesied already as a child. As a child, Hashem spoke to Shmuel. So we're talking about, again, one of the great souls of the Jewish people, the one who anointed the first two kings of the Jewish people. Right? Shmuel was the one who anoints Shaul. Shmuel is the one who's going to anoint um, David HaMelech. Um, and Shmuel, again, is the undisputed leader of Klal Yisrael in his time, without any doubt. And this, all of this is stories in Navi, beautiful story after beautiful story. Um, Shmuel is going to pass away pretty young, though. Especially after Eli, who just passed away at 98 years old. Right? I, I didn't mention, Eli passes away at 98 years old. That's the day of the destruction of the Mishkan of Shiloh. Right? Big war with the Palishtim, with the Philistines. The Aron was taken. And Eli's two sons are killed in battle, Chafni and Pinchas, and then Eli is going to die on that day. Um, again, 98 years old. Shmuel, when Eli dies, well, if you're following, if you're thinking, he's only he's 39. Because if Eli was coined God of 40 years, and his first day was when he promised Hannah to have a child, so Shmuel is 39 when Eli passes away. Um, Shmuel is going to lead the Jewish people, and he's going to pass away at the age of 52. Young man. Um, it's interesting, Shmuel passed, according to some, Medr says that Shmuel, the reason he passed away young is because Shmuel was brokenhearted that Shaul was going to lose the kingdom. Right? Shmuel was the one who anointed Shaul. And then Shaul sinned with Amalek. And Shmuel took it very hard. So Shmuel passes away a few months before Shaul does, so he doesn't have to see that whole transition. Um, but Shmuel passes away at 52 years old. Who's the next link in the chain? of the transmission of Torah, and one of the most famous names that all of us know, and everyone knows, David HaMelech. Because David HaMelech is not only a king and a warrior, David HaMelech is a spiritual giant. You know, the first conversation we had this evening was all about saying Tehillim, that's David HaMelech. So many times you think of a king, you think of a warrior, you think of someone, I don't know, with a big crown, I'm sure he had a crown, but David Amalek wasn't about a warrior. David Amalek was one of the greatest tzaddikim of the Jewish people. Um, and that's why kingdom is his forever. Mashiach is from the children of David. Everything is David. Every, every subsequent king in Tanakh is always, was he like David or wasn't he like David? The whole Tanakh is about David's descendants. So David is the one who received the reins, so to speak, of Torah and giving over the Torah. Um, to the next generation. And that's so David Amalek is considered the next link in the chain after Shmuel Hanavi. Interestingly, um, David Amalek was a great king, but the one who actually went out to war wasn't David. David had generals. He had Yoav, Yoav ben Suri was a famous general, others. And the Gemara says, David would sit and study Torah, and the general would go out to war. And it says that, that because of David's holiness, that's why the general was able to succeed in war. So David wasn't your typical king 
or at least not the way we might think of a king. So David was the next link in Torah. Who's the next link? So Nashlam. Now, I mentioned that earlier. You might think, well, we're doing kings, right? No, we're not. And that, that, the interesting thing of the Rambam's list is it's not all who you would think, right? By the way, Shoal wasn't mentioned. Shoal was a great person, but he wasn't that link, right? So who is after David? And here's someone that is perhaps much less known to us, but definitely mentioned in Tanakh, and that is Achia Hashiloni. Achia Hashiloni is a prophet, mentioned in Tanakh. Um, in Hasidic tradition, Achia Shiloni plays a whole d- different interesting concept part, which is that in Hasidic tradition, what we've been taught and told from our Rebbe's is that Achia Shiloni comes down a thousand years later more to become the spiritual teacher of the Baal Shem Tov. But that's just a side part to this whole story. That, that's not part of our story that we're talking here. It's just an interesting detail. But back to our um, success, uh, succession of Torah a transmission, Achia Hashiloni is that prophet, and again, he's discussed in the books of Tanakh, and he is in that time, and he is the one who is the carrier of Torah after the passing of David HaMelech. Okay, who is after Achia Hashiloni? Again, one of the very famous Sadikim of Tanakh, and that Yiddishkeit is, so to speak, enamored with, and that is Eliyahu Hanavi. Eliyahu Hanavi is the disciple of Achia Shiloni in Tanakh. Um, and Eliyahu Hanavi is this tremendous Navi, obviously. Um, Eliyahu Hanavi is constantly waging the battles of Hashem in a sense of idolatry was rampant in that time. Um, there's the famous story of Eliyahu with, at Mount Carmel with the 400 prophets of the Baal, which is idolatry, and he takes them on. Um, Eliyahu Hanavi takes on Jewish kings who are idolatrous, the king Achav, and he gets himself in trouble. I mean, he's constantly in danger of his life, and the king, and the queen, and Ezebel, and she wants to kill him. But Eliyahu Hanavi is the, is the warrior of Hashem. Um, you know, on a soul level, he has a special connection with Pinchas. That's really a soul concept, that he's a Gilgal Pinchas, according to some. Um, Eliyahu Hanavi famously is the one who ascends to heaven, um, body and soul. The only one that Tanakh tells us um, the whole vision, where he fiery chariot, the whole story as it's portrayed in Tanakh, and Eliyonavi ascends to heaven, which is the reason why he is the one who's constantly showing up. Right? He's the only one who never really died, in a physical sense of the word. He ascended to heaven, and Elisha talks about this, the Tanakh talks about it, and that's why when there's a bris milah, it's Eliyonavi, it's Pesach Seder, it's Eliyonavi, a tzaddik, someone, something is being revealed to a tzaddik, it's Eliyonavi, People find some Eliyahu Navi, right? He's the, that proverbial tzaddik who's always around, who never passed away and is always showing up, and perhaps most importantly, the one who will foretell the coming of Mashiach, Eliyahu Navi Mevaser Hageula. So definitely um, one of the great, great names in the history of Kali Yisrael, but as far as our shir, he is a link in the transmission of Torah. Okay? So if we were to review, what do we have? Of course. <laughs> All the time. Okay. Moshe Rabbeinu, Yehoshua, Pinchas, Eli, Shmuel, David Hamelach, Achia Hashiloni, Eliyahu Hanavi. So we're by number eight. Okay? And you'll, you're noticing, I'm sure, that in these eight we have some of the most famous names of the Jewish people. But not all. Okay? It gets, by the way, less famous as we go on. Because then, in the period, these are all like the beginning, but then it gets just named some, some of them, you know, when we get to, by the time we get to 40, I'm sure some of them we will not have heard of at all. Um, although they're all mentioned in Tanakh and, and so on. Once okay. They, once they start, do they do it till they die? Typically. The typically. Die? Typically, they had Talmudim. You always, I, I, I can't, underscore enough, emphasize enough. It wasn't just like one person by himself in a room. They taught Torah to thousands. They were like, like take about, talk about the Rebbe in our generation. He taught Torah to thousands and thousands. And yet, you know, he was one Rebbe who learned from the Friedrich Rebbe, learned from the Rebbe Rashab. So these were Torah teachers to thousands or tens of thousands to Klal Yisrael. And when they passed away, there was that primary disciple who either they specifically said or divinely it was said, who was going to be the next link in that chain. But definitely they taught it and they taught it and that was, that's what they spent their life doing. And yet there was someone in charge. 
there was a central authority, if you will, for Torah. Okay. How does the Rambam say it? Does he say like the like um, in the Pirkeiavos? Basically, no. He's. I'm adding about each one. He just says. I'll, I'll read. Shmuel kibel me eli ubeis dinai. Vidavid kibel mi Shmuel ubeis dinai. Vachia hashiloni miotzi mitzur. Velevi haya v'shama mi Moshe. Whatever. Vilio and Avi. He goes on. He does. It's very. Peace, 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 peace. And then when he finishes, he goes back and says, "Okay, so we have forty and counts them all out." He does, the Rambam, you know, there's, no, book, there's no, no one like the Rambam to bring clarity and concise, you know, um, accuracy to Torah and to its history. Okay, let's see if we can get to number 10. Um, well, the last one I said was Achiyah, no, I said Eliyahu Anavi, right? Um, Eliyahu Anavi's foremost Talmud, and this is, if we're learning Tanakh, it's Elisha. Elisha, who was the one who was there when Eliyahu Anavi goes up to heaven. In fact, Eliyahu Anavi promises Elisha, and he says, that if you will merit to be able to see me and live as I'm taken to heaven, then you will have twice as much as my ruach, as much as my spirit, you'll have twice as much. And the Tanakh is very effusive in the greatness of Elisha. There's many chapters of Tanakh that talk about the miracles and the wonders that were performed by Elisha, including resurrection of the dead and others. So Elisha is also clearly one of the great Nevi'im of Klal Yisrael, and he was the next after Eliyahu Hanavi. Um, I'm going to conclude with this, and that's number 10, just to give it a, you know, some type of a wholesome number here. Number 10 is someone that I'm going to guess might, we may, some of us may not even have heard of, or maybe just in passing, Yehoyada HaKohen. And he's mentioned in Tanakh, um, nowhere near as much as any of, or most of the names that we mentioned until this point, but he lived after Elisha, he was a Kohen, um, I have to check on this, but I'm pretty sure he was the Kohen Gadol, pretty sure, in his time. We're talking about, by the way, all of this conversation at the moment is during the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. I should have said that at some point, because once we were past David, right, David's son Shlomo builds the first Beis HaMikdash. So once we're into Achia Hashiloni, Eliyahu Anavi, this is the time of the first Beis HaMikdash. That's the time period we're at now. So the next Navi, Sadik and transmitter of Torah after Achia Hashiloni is Yehoyada HaKohen. So he is number 10 if we're counting back from Moshe Rabbeinu. And we will stop here and continue from there next week. Amir Sahasha. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Turn this off.